The Russo-Ukrainian war is now in its 18th day and is still showing no signs of abating. Here in Taiwan, a government-initiated donation drive to help Ukraine has already hit 570 million Taiwan dollars. On Sunday afternoon, NGOs, along with members of the public, took to the streets of Taipei in a march that called for peace in the Eastern European country. Let's hear from some of the participants. Everyone needs to end this war as soon as possible. I was in touch with a friend in Ukraine and he can't fall asleep. He said nine missiles passed over my home city. Do everything I can to stop this because it's absolute hell. It's something like it's impossible to comprehend. I just want to let people know what's going on in the world. For another next generation, understand the, the difference between good and bad. As the war continued, NGOs initiated this rally to show their solidarity. More than 2,000 people set out from Da'an Forest Park, filed down Shini Road and arrived at Ketagalan Boulevard, waving the Ukrainian flag and supportive banners, shouting slogans and singing the Ukrainian national anthem. As the war in Ukraine rages on, there are now new concerns about international shortages of semiconductor chips. That's because two of the world's suppliers of an essential raw material, neon gas, are based in Ukraine and have now suspended operations. Although Taiwanese chip makers are prepared and have reserved supplies for the short term, experts say that if the war drags on, chip shortages will be exacerbated, affecting the availability of various electronic products. Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine has not only disrupted food and energy supplies, but there are now reports that two major Ukrainian neon gas producers have suspended operations, which is likely to further exacerbate a shortage of semiconductor chips. Neon gas, uh, it, uh, it being Ukraine, is one of the largest exporters of neon gas, about 50% of the world's supply. This is a concern for the entire globe, as neon gas is a key raw material used in the chip manufacturing process. These two Ukrainian plants together supply 45 to 50 percent of neon gas that's used in global chip production. Last year, global consumption of neon gas used in chip production reached as high as 540 metric tonnes. Even though Taiwanese chip companies have made advanced preparations and have reserved stock so that short-term supply chains are secure, and in addition, upstream gas manufacturers have many resources at their disposal to make necessary adjustments, the entire industry is concerned that if war in Ukraine drags on, it will ultimately affect chip production. The price of neon gas may increase by as much as 20 or 30-fold. Although neon gas is involved in chip manufacturing, the proportion of its costs is relatively low. But if its price shoots up by 20 or 30-fold, it will affect contract chipmakers' gross profit margins, shaving off at the very least three percentage points or more. There's already a global shortage of semiconductor chips as a result of the pandemic, which has dealt a blow to the automotive industry. Now the Russo-Ukrainian war has made chips even scarcer. The Japanese auto giant Toyota has even announced that production will be reduced by as much as 20% from April through to June, owing to supply chain shortages 
and other major manufacturers are also seeing delays in deliveries. There are worries that a ripple effect is already happening. Motorists, take note. There's going to be yet another jump in fuel prices. Starting Monday, the price of gasoline and diesel will both go up by 0.3 NT per litre. This means 95 inlated will hit 33.1 NT a litre in a seven-year, five-month high. Meanwhile, a litre of diesel will reach 29.4 NT. The U.S. has announced a sanction against Russia, and because of that, international oil prices have recently been affected. Over the last week in particular, this has been immediately evident. Last week, the average international price of crude oil continued to rise, spurred on by the ongoing Russo-Ukrainian war and an American embargo on Russian oil. State-run oil refiner CPC has activated stabilization measures and so far is absorbing 5 NT per litre of gasoline and 6.6 NT per litre of diesel on the local market. International crude oil prices are soaring so much that some institutions are even predicting that oil prices are set to exceed 200 US dollars a barrel. Faced with the specter of ever-increasing prices, motorists can only learn to pinch pennies wherever they can. Well, balmy weather was the order of the day Sunday. The western half of the island even saw the mercury hit the 30-degree mark. But if you think summer has arrived, think again. The weather front will arrive on Thursday, sending the mercury back down. Regions north of central Taiwan can also expect rain. With the sun shining brightly overhead, the weather of late has been like that of summer. Look around and you'll find people donning summery outfits. Due to the reflux of a high-pressure system, the weather has been balmy all over the island. High temps in the western half of the island surpassed 30 degrees, while the eastern half saw highs of 26 to 27 degrees. A weather front will travel past waters off northern Taiwan tomorrow, southeastern regions as well as mountainous regions in the north along with Yilan and Hualien will see brief scattered showers in the afternoon. Monday's front won't have much of an effect. However, come Thursday, another front will slowly arrive, ushering in dampness leading to rain. From Thursday evening, as the weather front draws near, moisture will increase. As the front passes through on Friday and Saturday, the northeast monsoon will strengthen, and the weather in the north and northeast will become cooler. Northern and eastern regions will see brief showers. The weather for the coming week can be divided into two stages. It'll be mostly fair before Thursday, with large temperature swings between daytime and nighttime. After Thursday, regions north of central Taiwan will become cooler with scattered brief showers. The public is advised not to put away their jackets just yet. As the pandemic gradually subsides, around 30 percent of the nation's COVID patients are still suffering from various residual conditions caused by the virus. Wheezing is the most common after effect, according to Taipei Medical University Hospital statistics, followed by forgetfulness and fatigue. However, in the case of the Omicron variant, the most common after effect is fatigue. Whether it's a mild or a severe infection, fatigue or lethargy caused by the virus 
tends to cause the person, once he or she has recovered, to lose the drive to be active, let alone get up to exercise. This inactivity will further increase chances of incapacitation. Doctors say some asymptomatic patients may also experience neurological symptoms, such as an inability to concentrate within three months of being infected. If such symptoms affect your daily life, medical attention should be sought immediately. New Taipei's Gongliao District was once famed for an edible sea snail known as the variously colored abalone. At one time, this region was number one in the world by export volume, but due to a debilitating virus and Chinese competition, those glory days are long gone. Today, we go to Gongliao to meet an abalone farmer fighting to keep his hometown industry alive. He's found ways to rebrand his product and now even offers interactive tours of his fishery. Our Sunday special report. It's a perfect Saturday morning in New Taipei's Gongliao district. Dozens of parents and kids approach, excited to be fishermen for a day. Forty-six-year-old Li Shenxing starts by introducing the facility. His somewhat clumsy delivery gives away that he's not a professional tour guide, but a farmer of an aquatic species known as the variously colored abalone. In recent years, frozen abalone from China has flooded Taiwan, crowding the local market. That motivated Li to change things up at his fishery, which began offering guided tours to visitors. Right, come over and I'll tell you the easiest way to tell them apart. You can tell them apart by the shell. Other abalones have a wrinkly shell and these holes stick out more. Variously colored abalones have a smoother shell and the holes are smaller. Variously colored abalones and other abalone species are all part of the same family. Variously colored abalones are locally known as Gongliao abalones. They don't like sandy environments, preferring the rocky coast of northeastern Taiwan. Abalones are a family business that Li inherited from his father. His farm now boasts several square ponds on the intertidal zone. One of the abalone's favorite foods is Gracilaria, a kind of red algae. This seaweed is called Gracilaria. You can find it at most restaurants around here. But Gracilaria is not their only source of nutrients. Kelp is also indispensable. Lee opens up a box and throws 15 kilograms of Saccharino japonica into a giant concrete vat. He turns on the machine to chop it all up and mix it well before it is fed to the abalones. Feeding is an everyday event at the fishery, but it must be done well. To show visitors the tricks of the trade, he takes them down to the ponds so they can have a go at feeding the shellfish. This way, the tourists can quickly understand the ins and outs of the industry to find out that it's not as simple as it seems. Wow, 
Unlike fish, abalone do not swim about to get their food. They can't. So you have to spray the food evenly. If you don't reach everywhere, <laughs> some of the abalones don't get to eat. Now at least they know what they eat, what they look like, and how they are raised. Before, I just ate them without knowing how they were raised. When we arrived, the kids were really happy. Before, they only had ever seen the variously colored abalone at seafood restaurants. But coming here, they were able to see firsthand how abalones are cultivated and to get a better understanding on how the fishery ponds work. I'm sure that now they know how to tell the difference between variously colored abalones and other abalones. Opening up the farm to the public was a bold move for Lee, whose expertise was in shellfish and not giving tours. But these days, he doesn't shy away from explaining his daily work to visitors. The impetus for this change in him was his love for his traditional industry. Ever since I was born, my family has farmed variously colored abalone. We were all brought up by this shellfish. It was the main source of income in my family. We've been in this business since the 60s. Lee's father and brother are also in the abalone business. Although mollusks have been a part of his life since his youth, Lee initially pursued careers in medical care and electronics. It was only afterward that he decided to return to his hometown and continue the family business. In the first few years after his return, he bumped against a major problem. Abalone all around Taiwan were dying en masse. It made his start in the industry a very difficult one indeed. The rate of survival was so low, it was close to zero. There was a virus that, once it infected one of them, two or three days later they would all fall. You wouldn't find a single survivor. We were losing money every year, anywhere from 100,000 NT to the millions. In those tough days for the industry, Lee's wife was at his side at all times. Although she supported him, she was at a loss over why he would take over the family business at its nadir. I think he was optimistic and I was pessimistic about the future of the industry. I thought there were many uncertainties. For one, we have the weather. We can't control that. Then there are the prices, which are decided by other people. Gong Liao produces about 200 tons of variously colored abalone every year. 90% of that is sold to distributors, and only about 10% is sold to clients directly by the fisheries themselves. In 2011, China started selling more than 1,000 tons of frozen abalone to Taiwan. At the time, the farms in Gongliao were still recovering from the debilitating virus. They were unable to boost output and were gradually replaced by imported shellfish. The biggest problem we faced was that variously colored abalone had disappeared from the market for a while, so we had to go back and find consumers. Our product had been slowly replaced by imported abalone. Finding customers after being replaced wasn't easy. We were putting a lot of hard work into our farm, but we were unable to sell anything at a good price or even at a loss. Amid bleak prospects for the industry, Lee was on the verge of calling it quits. But then, 
he had a realization. Gongliao shellfish would not be able to compete against Chinese imports in quantity or price. But there was one way in which the local produce could compete on quality. Freshly cut abalones are set straight on the grill and torched to perfection without any seasoning. Visitors can get the most authentic taste of local variously colored abalone. It's a world apart from the frozen stuff. Our hope is that by showing people how shellfish are born, how they are raised, and how to enjoy them, we can get consumers to better understand the product. Having them come here and experience the environment for themselves, if they find it good and fresh and clean, that's all added value. The texture is completely different from the frozen ones. You bite down and it feels springy. The frozen ones are all mushy, they have no bite, it's all soft. When you bite down on these fresh ones, they have a certain firmness to them. Although tourist sales are only a drop in the bucket compared to sales to distributors, this avenue creates a special connection between farmers and consumers. Building up a premium brand means commanding a higher price and competing in a whole other ballpark than that of cheap imports. There was the epidemic in the 2000s, and then we were able to slowly recover starting from 2012 and 2013. We were gradually successful in breeding the abalone. But in this industry, we are like a newborn baby. We need the government to pay attention to us and offer some help and guidance. We need their protection to be able to grow. This fishery in Gongliao has a long road ahead before it cements its place in the market. At its prime, these high-density ponds at Lee's Fishery could produce 500 to 600 caddies of abalone every year. But today, they sit abandoned. Lee plans to put them back to use again and raise Pacific white shrimp to create an income outside of abalone season. It takes less time to raise shrimp. With the climate here, it takes about four to five months for them to reach maturity. So if we start in April, we can have a harvest in August or September. I really feel for him. I really do. His hair has turned so white these past few years. He doesn't tell me he's tired because he thinks that it was his decision to come back. I feel inseparable from this place. Ever since I matured as a person, I have wanted to live here. My father was also born here. We really have a deep emotional bond with this place. Reluctant to leave his hometown, Lee plans to continue on despite the challenges. Even as the industry faces an aging population and a downturn in fortunes, he will continue to toil as he strives to achieve a breakthrough. 
A Zhanghua woman recently received a surprise in the mail from Pingdong Prison. Ten inmates sent an envelope filled with money orders to help cover her son's medical bills. Her son was the victim in a high-profile case of workplace abuse in 2020. When the inmates learned of his ordeal, they decided to pool their prison earnings, coming up with 16,000 NT to help. Ten money orders in denominations from 1,000 to 3,000 NT for a total sum of 16,000 NT. A woman received them by registered mail at her home in Zhanghua County. She was at a loss at first. After examining the mail closely, she found a handwritten letter from ten inmates at Pingdong Prison. They had pulled their prison earnings to express their care and concern for her family. The woman could barely hold back tears as she read their words. They wanted to show they cared about what happened to my son. It feels very good that they care about us so much. I'm very grateful for their kindness. Two years ago, her young son had gone to Taoyuan to work at a steel company, where he was severely abused by his bosses. At the end of his ordeal, he had lost several of his toes, and he suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder to this day. The 10 inmates at Pingdong Prison heard of what happened to the teen. They decided to donate their wages from factory work to help the son and his mother. They feel that they need to give back what they got from society to make a contribution. So over these past three years, they have been quietly engaged in acts of kindness. It's a way to show that they're determined to reform. The Jianghua woman runs a food stall to support her family and pay her son's medical expenses. She says the donation comes at a time of need and that she's grateful for the kindness. Since the inmates began donating their wages three years ago, they have given more than 300,000 NT to others. Although they all committed crimes that have put them in prison, they're keen to give back to society and chart a new path forward.